Welcome to episode number 97 of the Marine Layer podcast. We'll take a look at the Zips projections for the Mariners in 2024. We'll look around baseball with our MLB Wraparound Hall of Fame edition. There are three new members of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, and we'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. This show is brought to you by our friends over at Pagotcha's Pub 85. Pagotcha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Guys, you've heard us talk about it a bunch, and we're going to talk about it again. This is our favorite place to go hang out with our friends, watch games. You want to go watch the NFC title games this weekend, or I should say the NFL title games, AFC, NFC? Go over there because you can have some great drinks, get some great food, especially pizza, hang out with your friends, play some pool, whatever you might want to do. It's an awesome spot to hang out. And if you head over during happy hour, you can get some great deals. They include $3 domestic beers, $3 Manny's Blue, or $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wines. Those happy hours are Monday through Friday from 2 to 6 p.m. You can get all that and have a great time with your friends over at Pagotcha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. And before we start the show, your reminder... Download our episodes, leave us a review, follow the show wherever you get your audio podcast. like, comment, subscribe on YouTube where the full video pod is, and check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday evening, January 25th, and apparently, Lyle, the Blake Snell rumors will never end. Oh, they never die. If you want to keep your hopium about Blake Snell being a Mariner, you can do exactly that. You know why? Because more rumors keep popping up. You know Blake Snell still wants to be here. That doesn't, I, I mean, who cares if the Mariners aren't going to pay him the money, but you know, he still wants to be here. So what does his camp do? They use that as leverage. In case you missed it uh, over this past week, former MLB GM Jim Bowden was given information by somebody, we think Scott Boris, that quote, the Mariners continue to listen to trade proposals for pitchers in their starting rotation since the return in the market would be inflated. And then they would consider signing Blake Snell to upgrade the top of their rotation. Rangers are still engaged in trying to have a reunion with Jordan Montgomery. That's not related to Blake Snell. Uh, hmm, who's the agent for both of those players, Lyle? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I already said his name, right? Scott Boris saying, hey, uh, my name's not Jerry Depoto, but I'm making Bryce Miller and Brian Wu available. Okay, I need to start with this. If the Mariners were to trade one of those starters first, that would be such a terrible look. Because what if they traded one of those guys and then Blake Snell signs with the Giants? You know how ridiculous that would be? Oh, that would be such an awful look if that happened. Now, they probably wouldn't do that. But I will say, if that's the plan, those acquisitions need to be flipped in terms of the order. You better sign Snell first and then figure it out. You cannot trade one of those guys first. You would still need to find a way to have leverage, though, because once you sign Blake Snell, then you have too many, and teams know you need to get rid of a starter. So, well, well technically, they don't need to, but they would be doing themselves a disservice if they don't, and teams understand that. Well, but we've talked about that they could keep six, all six of those guys and put one of them in the bullpen if Wu's innings are going to be managed, for example. You could do that. 
I don't think it totally kills their leverage, but to your point, maybe they'd have to internally have something in place with Snell, make the trade, and then immediately sign him after. Remember how like in the NBA, the Paul George trade went down technically before the Kawhi Leonard signing, like two minutes before, but there was very clearly something in place already with Kawhi. It would Mm -hmm. need to be something like that. Remember, we were talking about Major League Baseball, not the NBA. Like the NBA. I know, but it needs to be that type of thing it where does. something is in place. That's all. Yeah, Blake but- Snow walk walk. They're like, "Hey, Blake, we we need a handshake agreement that you're signing here before we make this happen, and you have a spot." It makes sense. <laughs> Just a something in the NBA happening in Major League Baseball is uh, less likely. No, but I'm down. Look, hey, I'm down. It it uh, works. Look, the realist in me says this is totally Scott Boris doing what he always does and manipulating markets in free agency to get his guys top dollar and truthfully overpaid because the top four guys remaining are all his clients. I made a a post about this on some of my personal social accounts talking about the reason free agency has been so slow. It's all because of Scott Boris. Chapman, Bellinger, Montgomery, Snell are all his clients. Those are the top remaining free agents. So I'm sure this is probably Scott Boris just stirring stuff up. Now that's the realist in me. The optimist in me says, oh, the Mariners are trading for Luis Arise and they're signing Blake Snell. (laughs) Well, if Scott Boris managed to facilitate that, if his pause gave the Mariners an opportunity to do this, would you forgive him? Oh, I might, I might honestly have to start praising Scott Boris. For those of you that listen regularly, a few weeks ago, I went on a bit of a Scott Boris tangent on here because I truly do hate listening to him speak every year, especially at these GM meetings and the winter meetings when he's just so snarky with all of his comments. But if he actually helped the Mariners execute that, I might have to come on here and sing his praises. I might have to say I'm actually a Scott Boris fan. Just start wearing Boris Corp gear on the pod and buy some stuff off Amazon of all the Boris gear and say, hey. I now stand this guy. Do you think you could forgive him for the Marcus Simeon thing, though? Could you do no. it? I mean, he held Simeon away. He said, Marcus, I'm not letting you get on a plane to go to Seattle. That's not happening. You are not allowed to go there. But in the end, two years later, it ends up with the fact you might actually have a better second base. Oh, well, yeah. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if mm. I can say that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. You'd still end up with a pretty good second baseman. Unfortunately, you would have to trade for him instead of merely paying the market rate for Marcus Simeon. Good things happen, though. So maybe, how about we just call it a truce? A truce? Okay, we can call it a truce. I guess if, look, if, if Marcus Simeon is a better second baseman than Luis Arise, and yes, just like you, I am not happy that he is not a Mariner. Again, they sh- that was the easiest signing in the world two years ago. It made all the sense in the world. And Scott Boris didn't let it happen. That being said, if they really went and got Luis Arise, they got rid of Descalfani's contract, and then they signed Blake Snell, I would start saying some things about this Mariners team if they did that. And and, and I'm only gonna, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'll say it would be in a positive light when I reference. I would start saying some things about the Mariners because if they did that, oh, this team looks a certain type of way. But it's totally hypothetical. So unfortunately, for now, I probably do have to leave it at that. <laughs> okay let's take a look at these zips projections lyle so zips 
If you are unfamiliar with zips, you can go onto Fangraphs and find the zips projections for all 30 major league teams. Zips, by the way, was created and manufactured and published by Dan Simborski. I said his last name correctly. Dan Simborski. You can find his work there on Fangraphs. And he comes up with a projection system for all 30 major league teams. All the stats you could want for the upcoming season. It is uh, it is quite complicated, but here we are. We're going to talk about the end results that he's come come out with and not the uh, not the process he came through to get there. But he came out with the Mariners' projections for this upcoming 2024 season. So I'm going to throw the floor to you, Blau. If you want to start somewhere on... Dan Simborski's Zips projections. Where are you going to start? Where am I going to start or where do I have the biggest issues? Like, do we have to start with Julio or do you want me to immediately open the door for people and say, here, where my issues lie? Well, I'm going to confirm what Dan Simborski's computer confirmed as well. I also think Julio is going to have a very good season in 2024. Hot take. Yeah. Okay. Let's just start there. Let's start with Julio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he is projected in 2024 by Zips to shocker, put up a 274 average, 824 OPS, 132 OPS plus, and just above a five war season. Oh, we should note, we're going to use OPS plus in this episode to reference guys rather than WRC plus. And like we've talked about, the two are very, very similar. They don't fluctuate that much in terms of the end result. It's just that for Zips projections, they use OPS plus over WRC plus. So for today, we're just going to use that. Anyway. Yes, it says Julio should be very, very good in 2024. Shocker. In fact, it says even if he has a down season, he should still put up about three wins. So in English, Julio Rodriguez is very good. Well, that's a good take. That's a good take by Zips. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'm taking a look at the Zips projections, and I have the whole Mariners starting nine looking out here. There, There's a couple of interesting ones. First up, you brought up J.P. Crawford. Uh, off before we started recording, and I think J.P. Crawford would be a good subject to go to next on the record because J.P. by WRC Plus was the Mariners' best hitter last season. Zips doesn't think so for this upcoming season. They only have him at a 108 OPS Plus. They say he's going to be worth about three wins. So they're saying J.P. is essentially going to be a slight step above what he was in 2022 before he really broke out last season. That would be unfortunate. Uh, I think we can differ on that. I think it would be fair. I will just note that among all of the projection system out there, there are Zips and Steamer. Those are the two big ones. Zips is a little more conservative than Steamer is. Steamer is a little bit more optimistic when it comes to player projections and what they're going to do this upcoming season. Meanwhile, Zips is a little bit more on the hesitant side on what they think the median output of J.P. Crawford will, will be this upcoming season. So they see J.P. at a... 108 OPS plus, 30 doubles, 12 home runs, and three wins above replacement. That's a, I would say that's for J.P. Crawford to live up to everything and be healthy, probably the floor, I'm going to say. Yeah, and we should know, too, that with these Zips projections, what they do and part of their formula for making these calculations is they take the last three seasons that each player's had into account when pushing out their projected data for the upcoming year. So with J.P. Crawford, he was awesome in 2023. It's also still taking into account 21 and 22, when obviously he was not a superstar bat. He was a round league average, slightly above it in terms of WRC plus and OPS plus. So it's projecting him to be a little closer to that range, where I think we know 
after the adjustments he made at driveline last year, how good he looked at the plate, the power he possessed, the, I mean, he's always had a great eye, but all the strides he took last year, I'm not going to promise he's putting up a 135 or so mark again. I don't think it's dropping down to 108. I just don't think there's any way. I think J.P. Crawford, the guy we saw last year, is more or less here to stay. So here's something I'll throw it at you. You want to hear what the lineup sounds like with the projected OPS plus numbers? And by the way, these numbers are about 50th percentile outcome. So right in the middle of what a what a thing would expect. Lau has a couple of 80th percentile things he wants to talk about as well. But these numbers that we're presenting to you right now are about the median output of what the computer projects they're going to do this season. So let's just run through the lineup real quick and the production. So JP's at the top, 108 OPS plus. Julio batting second, 132 OPS plus. Cal is batting third at a 112 OPS plus. Mitch Garver batting in the four spot. Mitch, by the way, is one of the few players who does not have a Zips projection because of the order of when Zips came out with the projections team by team. So I used his steamer projection, which is a 115 WRC plus. So around the same OPS plus. Luke Rayleigh in the five hole at a 111. Ty in the six hole at a 112. Dom Canzone slash Mitch Hanniger at seven. Canzone at a 104. Mitch at a 102. Urias at a 104. And Rojas. Uh, at an 83 in the nine hole. I think Rojas is the other one who kind of sticks out. Both the projection systems pretty low on Josh, both both sub 100. So again, last three years with Rojas are all taken into account. And of course, on here, we're rooting for every guy to just go off. But even still, like once Rojas got traded to Seattle last year, we talked about how much we loved seeing him hitting in the nine spot, especially over that late August, early September stretch where he was really swinging it. I'm not saying he's going to be some 130 WRC plus guy or OPS plus guy. I don't think any of us are saying that. I don't see any reason he can't be a 105-ish guy at the bottom of the lineup, play good defense the way he did toward the tail end of last year, and provide value. I just think, I think where Zips is projecting him to be has a lot to do with the down year he had for a lot of 2023 and some of his other previous years as well. I think for the most part, I, I, I think Rojas should be better than that. I think so too. and. It- I think we the the main point we harped on with Rojas is that how much we loved his on base percentage down there at the nine spot. Well, Zips projects his on base percentage at two ninety eight. Well, if his on base percentage is two ninety eight, then yeah, he's going to have an eighty three WRS or OPS plus. Yeah, yeah. If he if that if that's what it ends up being, correct. But if Rojas is walking, give or take eleven percent of the time, which at his peak that's what he does, then it's going to be significantly higher than that. And we think if Rojas is healthy and is stable in that nine spot, then that's going to be about what his about what his production is. Regardless of what he actually does when he hits the ball, his approach at the plate should provide enough value, I think. So we're kind of going all over the place just looking at these projections, and clearly we're starting with the hitters first. What do we think about Mitch Hanniger's projected totals? Yeah, I... I, I he's just getting... He is getting older. I, I couldn't... I can't flame anyone too much for thinking that Mitch is going to just go on a slower decline at the plate. And Zips, by the way, doesn't even take into account injuries and missed time as well, which, you know, could always happen with Mitch. He's been injury prone in his career and he's not getting any younger. Uh, 102 is not what the Mariners traded for. I'll I'll say that when, when Jerry's trading Robbie Ray away, he wants 115, 120. He wants production. Not 102. You can sign 
a guy out the scrap heap for a million dollars to put up a 102 WRC plus of the seven spot in your lineup. You don't want that for Mitch Haniger, who's going to be making well over $10 million on his contract for two more seasons. So, I mean, it's kind of disappointing. It sucks seeing Mitch get old. That's for sure. I missed the 2016 version or 2017 version of Mitch. <laughs> that one was something we could project above a 102 uh, OPS plus. But, or, uh, or do you mean 2018? 2017, he was good, but he spent a lot of time injured with that oblique. It was 18. He put up, what, the six B-War season? Okay, let me be more specific, actually. His 2017 April, when he had, like, two wins above replacement, burst onto the scene, he was awesome. Like, yeah. They first traded for him. That was, he. well, he was young. He was, you know, looking to prove himself in a new organization. He was great. But you're mm-hmm. right. He was hurt that full season. So 17 or 18 at his peak, sure. Yes. Yeah. But he's not that anymore, unfortunately. He's getting older. His body's breaking down. And bat speed is probably slowing down a little bit with it, too. I think Zips takes that into account. I think that's right. Man, I also, I just had a flashback talking about 2017. Forget the oblique injury for a second. Remember when Jacob deGrom hit hit him in the face with that fastball? I think I was yeah. at that game. That was that was terrifying. I remember watching that like from barely close by, and I was like, oh, my God. That was wild. Anyway, on a more positive note with Mitch, I don't know. Like, Isn't there a chance he truly just had a down year last year with a lot of injuries? Because obviously he didn't play that much. I know he's getting older. I know he's probably going to start to decline at some point. But isn't there a chance that he bounces back in 24 and he has a better year? Not like 20, not even 2021 Mitch Hanniger where he hit almost 40 bombs, but just like a 110 guy. Isn't that possible? There's a chance. 110 is not that much higher than what his current output is. Eight OPS plus points is, it's kind of mm. marginal. It's like that's think, within the within the margin of error. That's honestly, that's batted ball luck right there is what okay. you just described. He could have with a 102 OPS plus at, you know, his 50th percentile outcome. Okay, eight OPS plus points higher would be he gets uh, a little bit lucky with Babbitt and there's his 110. Okay, how about 115? Maybe that's a better mark. I, I know Mitch can do it, but I can't I can't guarantee anything. Mm-hmm. Again, like got got injury prone players don't get less injury prone as they get older. And if he's like injury prone alone, I mean, if he's healthy all season, then he can get his timing and then he, he can be good. And that's not I mean, that's not counting if his body wears down throughout the season, like we outlined with Wet Merrifield on our Wednesday episode of well, he's getting older. And as the season goes along, he's getting tired and his his production just keeps going down, 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 down. Well, Mitch Haniger didn't even, didn't even get a chance to do that last season because he he wasn't on the field, period. So, I mean, if we're banking that if Mitch is healthy, I mean, yeah, sure, he'd give you four great months, and that would probably give you a 115, sure. Before we get to any of the 20, 80 percentile projection stuff, I guess the last guy we should, or the last two guys we should talk about who we haven't truly harped on yet, one being Cal, and I feel like this one will be pretty short. He's projected... 231 average, 758 OPS, 112 OPS plus, 3.3 F4. That feels about right in terms of a projection, right? Yeah, that's about right. I think we wanted it to be higher when we were trying to project him last season, but this is about what it ended up being last season with a, with a few less home runs. And with a legit backup catcher now in Sebi Savala, Scott's going to want to give Cal a few more days off, permanent days off, not DH days. So that could eat into his home run total a little bit. But, you know, that seems about right for a 
upper tier catcher in a projection yeah. system. It's about right. And then they have Ty France bouncing back at least a little bit. And again, it takes the last three years into account. So it could be taking 21 and 22 heavily here. But Ty's projected 265 average, 743 OPS, also 112 OPS plus, just shy of a 2F war. I would hope that's a little bit higher, especially in the war totals and maybe a little bit in the OPS plus totals as well. But if he, if he jumps up about 10 or so points this year, that is a much, that is a noticeable improvement from 23. Yeah. And the, the 341 on base percentage is, is good there. I mean, even with all the, the advanced numbers, 30 doubles and 15 homers is for a first baseman with a one twelve percent above league average hitting profile is that's good. And mm-hmm. if Ty is going to hit in the six or the seven spot, that's pretty good. Yeah. Like that is pretty good for a six or a seven hitter down there. And we still want more. And if Ty has a good season, he's going to beat those numbers, right? Cause he's going to have an 80th percentile season instead of a 50th percentile season. And we're hoping that the driveline production gives him that 80th percentile season. So, you know, that that's really good for Ty. Uh, I think the Luke Rayleigh one is interesting too. They have him uh, zips a, l- a little optimistic of Luke Rayleigh. They have him at a one eleven OPS plus. 15 doubles, 15 home runs, playing as more of a part-time role, but they have him definitely producing as a as a Mariner, maybe lower than people see the, the trade and they see the production last season, and they probably want a little bit more. But overall, that's still an optimistic outlook for Luke Rayleigh for this upcoming season. Luke Rayleigh hits. I, I actually didn't think that was a crazy projection. When he is on the field, he hits. So... That seemed honestly about right. And again, if he plays better than that, he could be more in the 120s. I mean, remember how good he was last year, especially in the first half. Wouldn't shock me. Well, well, I will note to you again, I don't want to confuse people too much with the the two different projection systems. But this is one where I do actually, dog, want to bring up Steamer because when I look at that Luke Rayleigh number, I mentioned Steamer was more optimistic in general as a projection system, but they're not with Luke Rayleigh. They actually have him six points lower in terms of for that that it's wrc plus opposed mm-hmm. to a 111 ops plus so mm-hmm. just a just a little bit of difference there okay okay we lied i thought we'd just touch on cal and ty before we get to the 80th percentile stuff i'll i'll throw one more out there and then we'll truly move on if dom canzone puts up a 723 ops and a 104 ops plus this upcoming year are we okay with that or would we like to see more out of them well uh, I would I would say we're okay with it. I think for the Mariners to win, it needs to be more. But I, in terms of projections for a guy who hasn't even played a full season in the big leagues, I don't think that's crazy. I think that would be a perfectly serviceable first year. If he did that over a full season, in his first full season in the big leagues, I think that's a perfectly serviceable year. I think there's absolutely a chance he does more. If you want to talk about breakout Mariners candidates and sleeper candidates on this team. He's basically the guy I'm circling bright saying this could be your breakout candidate. That being said, if this is his floor and if this is what he does in 24, I'd be okay with that. That's those are, those would be some big jumps that he took from the handful of games or so that he played at the end of last year compared to a full season in 24. So as, as long as he's above 100, yeah, that's good. I'll say that the nightmare for Mariners fans is an injured Mitch Haniger and a Dom Canzone floor, because that's a spot you you traded a like trading for Mitch. You wanted to be productive, and mm-hmm. if you're struggling to get it productive, well, then then that's it. 
Right. Right. Then it's a struggle. Then it's going to be a struggle and the team's going to struggle to score some runs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Speaking of the 80th percentile stuff, what these zips projections also do is the numbers we've been reading off are the true projections for these guys for the year. But that's about the 50th percentile projections. For example, Julio putting up a five war is his 50th percentile, which is crazy in itself. But they do do extremes in the high and low category. So they have 20th percentile, meaning what do they project the numbers to be if they have a down year and an 80th percentile where they say, what do they project the numbers to be if they have a really good year? Julio, for example, if he has an 80th percentile season, they are projecting a seven war and a 154 OPS plus. I would call that winning the MVP. So that with that number right there, they're saying Julio for his career has been operating at about a 60, about 65, 65th percentile, give or take. Mm-hmm. So they're they're saying, hey, if he if he goes up to 80th percentile, that's what it is, and that means his 100th percentile if he's going to go out there and win an MVP, which most MVPs have to have a hundredth percentile season to do that. Where I mean, we're talking over nine wins, like a one one seventy ish OPS WRC plus. Yeah, it's pretty bonkers. That, but that would be an MVP season, and we're not even including the kind of defense he plays in center as well. I don't know. Could those 80th percentile numbers not net him an MVP? Seven war and a 154 OPS plus? That might do it. Depends on the year. Yeah, if Aaron yeah. Judge puts up another puts up another 61 homers, then sure. But luckily for him, Shohei Otani's no longer in the American League, so that's 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 help number one. But it, I'll say if someone else, some other elite player, has a 100th percentile season, it's probably going to be better than that. Unfortunately, okay. Fair. so. I will note that his 20th percentile season is projected at a 3.2 F4. So that says even if Julio has a bad year, he's still putting up three wins, which is crazy. It just shows you the floor that Julio has as a player at just 23 years old. But yeah, the Mariners are lucky to have that guy. Okay, I'm going to scroll down some some more of this list. For example, they say Cal's 80th percentile season is about a 4.3 war, 125 OPS plus. Or sorry, that's JP's. JP's 80th percentile season would be 4.3 War, 125 OPS Plus. Cows would be 4.5 War, 134 OPS Plus. There's a few others. Here's the one I really wanted to note, unless you wanted to add something. I was going to say, so that is Zip saying that J.P. Crawford last season had about an 80th percentile season. I think that that checks out, right? Mm -hmm. And and Cal as well at his peak is about an 80th percentile. Yeah, sounds about right. This is the one I really wanted to highlight. So Luis Urias, who we have not talked about yet, his 50th percentile numbers project him to have a 104 OPS plus and a 1.7 war. His 80th percentile projections are pretty friendly. They have him at a 2.8 war. And this is what really jumps out. 126 OPS plus. They're saying if Hmm. Luis Urias has a very good season, he could be sitting in the 125 to 130 range as a hitter in baseball this year, which is crazy. That'd be a 25% above average hitter, which we've talked about Luis Urias nonstop saying this team still needs a third baseman. They need another impact bat. We've said it all winter. I still stand by all that. I think Urias and Rojas should be platooning. That said, whatever Urias's role is going to be, if he were to really hit like that, man, that would be a spark plug to this team. And clearly, Zip seems to think there is a world where he can do that. 
not only would that be his best season if he was hit his 80th percentile mark, it would be easily his best. I mean, that it would be significantly better than the two good seasons he had in 2022 and 2021 with WRC plus wise at a 110 and 112 respectively in those two seasons. So from a 110 to 112 to 125, I, that's that's pretty significant. That's pretty. That's a pretty optimistic outlook of his bat. I'll I'll say that much. I mean. Uh, I, I, at the big league level, I don't know if he's shown you anything that would that would lead you to believe he would be a 125 OPS plus guy. But okay, Tanzimborski, I'm down. If the, if he wants to go 80th percentile, uh, that would be cool. I, I'm sure most Mariner fans don't think he's going to go 80th percentile season, uh, 80th percentile this season, just because of what he did last season, but. That's certainly optimistic. That's more optimistic than I would have thought before I looked at those numbers. It's kind of crazy. That is crazy. I, again, I, I have my doubts he does it, but clearly there is a world where they think it's possible. So I would say that just about wraps up all the hitters, and I think we've covered all those guys pretty well. If we were to switch over to the arms, are there any that jump out to you there? Well, I do like they project that the top three of the Mariners rotation has a pretty good chance to be sub three, five and 200 innings. I'll say when I look at these inning counts, they're not all that important because inning counts are mostly dependent on health and it's very hard to project health. And the zips projections, as we mentioned, don't really take into account injuries. They will project you to play a full season regardless of your past history of uh, injuries or the fact if you're even a big leaguer, period. <laughs> um, so I, like I look at Luis Castillo, he's projected a three, two, seven ERA, 176 innings, Logan Gilbert at a three, five ERA and 182 George Kirby at a three, four, eight and 168. They're pretty bullish on all three of those. And if you go to 80th percentile, I mean, we are talking about just to 80th percentile. Each of those three would be Salyan caliber pitchers. That's exciting, Right. The 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 odds yesterday actually when this post it'll be on Wednesday did a I did a short little video on our social media platforms about the Cy Young odds Mariners have three of the top nine in the odds in the Vegas odds for the AL Cy Young this year and these Zips projections back that up if the fiftieth percentile is that all three of these guys are going to have a sub three five that's a good start. Uh, I mean, that's a good start on the way there. And when you're a Cy Young, you need, usually, like any major award, need to go up towards the 80th percentile or even higher. But what we're talking about when your 50th percentile is a 3-5 and nearly 180 innings, you know, that's uh, once you get to the, the 80th, 90th percentile, I mean, we're talking sub-3, 210 innings with a high strikeout rate. That usually wins you a Cy Young. And the Mariners have not one, not two, but three of them there at the top of the rotation. Mm-mm-mm. They they cannot afford to waste this rotation. I, sorry, I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm just thinking about it with seeing those Cy Young odds, seeing three guys in the top nine, knowing how good this rotation is. They just cannot afford to waste this opportunity. I, I really hope they go sign another bat. Anyway, I think they're lowballing George Kirby. I don't know. They, they, like I get that the Zips projections are a little on the pessimistic side, but this still feels like he's being lowballed. They're projecting On him. Which part? What, Kirby? Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I feel like the war is low, and maybe that's because he doesn't strike a lot of guys out, but 3.4 projected F4, I don't know. I feel like it's going to, I feel like he should be projected much closer to where Luis Castillo is at four. And look, this is no knock on Logan Gilbert. Again, all three of those guys are phenomenal. I just am a little surprised Logan's projected F4 for the year is higher than Kirby's. I think that has a little bit to do with the innings. Logan is projected to throw more innings, and Logan's also projected to strike out more guys as well. Yes, right. more strikeouts with- as well. And both of those are factors and more. Yeah. And that's it's something that will hurt Kirby in his career as he's looking to accumulate war. You strike out more guys, your war will go up more yeah. than if you don't strike guys out. And that's unfortunate. But I'll say their wars would probably be similar if George Kirby's projected inning count was had the extra 14 innings that Logan's has for this projection. So on a per inning basis, it's eh, it's give or take the same. But if they again, if they all hit their a 200 inning mark, which I think, again, we can all believe they would hit that 200 inning mark. Won't it won't his war will not be three, three, three and a half. It will be higher. Again, and that's what I preface that statement with, is I'm guessing the reason the war is projected a little lower is because he doesn't strike guys out the way that Logan Gilbert does. Even still, I feel like it should still be a little higher. Again, and you're probably right with the innings projections too, that maybe that's why it's a little further down. And and Luis is projected to throw more innings than Kirby is, for example. But you said it in that short-form reactionary video that you did to those Cy Young odds. And again... For those of you who haven't seen it, you can go check it out on all our social platforms. You said it, and I'm going to reiterate it here. If George Kirby learns one more true out pitch, this guy, this guy can seriously win a Cy Young. He can win multiple. If he gets a true out pitch under his belt, you're talking about... I think that's why I'm so stuck on that 3.4 F war number. I'm just, I feel like it is at any point in time now where Kirby could flip the switch and take that next step. It's been two full years for him now. I feel like year three is that time where you could see him really accelerate to the next level. And if he does that this year, that's kind of why I think 3.4 seems low. It's exciting. Uh, I want to look at the other two arms in the rotation, at least projected right now off our conversation at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) But regardless, Bryce Miller and Brian Wu are projected in the rotation. I would say the the ERA projections for both of them are, uh, I would say, probably fair. They have Bryce Miller at a projected 3.88 ERA in about 140 innings. Brian Wood, a 4.11 ERA in 116 innings. I, I think the stuff of Brian Wu, as we've articulated, is better than a 4.11 ERA. I don't know if they anticipate he might struggle a little bit when he gets stretched out again and he gets towards the latter part of his season, especially because they only project him at 116 innings on the on the safer side. It doesn't help that in the minor leagues. He also didn't throw that many innings, and that pro- is baked into the fact he's only projected that many innings. So I, Brian Wu's going to throw a little bit more than that. Uh, and we anticipate he's going to pitch a little bit better than that, but they're taking a pretty modest approach at those two. I was a little surprised they had Miller projected so far ahead of Wu in terms of ERA. Bryce will almost definitely throw more innings. He's more stretched out than Wu is. He's thrown more innings in his professional career than Wu has. But I don't know. Like Wu's another guy. And again, maybe I'm maybe I'm on all the hopium here, but it does not take an expert to see Wu's stuff and say, that guy has top of the rotation stuff. He has to put it together, but his profile says he can be 
a real top-end starter. So I don't know if that's going to come in year two, year three, year six. I don't know when. But if you believe that, I guess I just feel like Wu's ERA has the chance to be much lower in year two than 4-1-1. They also project him at a 100 ERA plus as a starter. So again, ERA plus, it's almost the pitching side of WRC plus or OPS plus where it's it's on a 100 scale. So 100 league average. They're saying Wu in that regard is a league average arm in 2024. I just, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that. I really do. I feel like he's going to be better than that. Based on just run prevention on ERA. Because that's, they're basing that number solely on his ERA, not, um, not like WRC plus is, you know, error adjusted too. I think, yeah. uh, like, so like ERA, I'll say ERA plus is not the, not the perfect stat with that. They do, they are saying that Brian Wu is going to be significantly better at striking guys out on a rate basis than Bryce Miller is. So you mm-hmm. have that plus, I mean, 115 strikeouts in 116 innings versus 121 strikeouts in 139 innings for Bryce Miller. So yeah, you have that. So they're playing the stuff up. Yeah. I should have clarified that what, what I meant between the ERA plus and WRC plus thing is just, that's the pitching side of things that are put out on a 100 scale. That's the one yeah. true stat for pitchers that they kind of rate out on a 100 scale. And and in that regard, they're calling him league average. Again, I just, with that stuff, if he's on the field I and, and he's healthy, I feel like it's going to be better than that. Guess we'll have to see. Yeah. Zip should have been drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, we can look at the relievers too. There's nothing, nothing mind-blowing. They are projecting a very, another very good season from Andres Munoz. A 2.91 ERA. Uh, the strikeout rate's high, just under 60 innings, 90 strikeouts. Matt Brash. Little less in the run prevention department, three and a half ERA, significantly more innings at 75, but he's also going to strike out 100 batters again, uh, according to them. I know you have a beef, so I'm going to tee you up. What is your beef with this? I was going to say, there is one crazy projection in here. Brash and Munoz are pretty normal. I don't know what they're looking at with Justin Topa, but that is just, that is... That projection, they're doing them dirty with it. I'm trying to even find the words. That is, they're really, really lowballing that guy with what they project him to do in 2024. I don't know what about Justin Topa's season says anything other than he should be perfectly sustainable in 2024 between the ground balls he gets, the stuff he has, the success he had. They're projecting Justin Topa to put up an 0.2 F war for the year. He was at 1.1 last year. 0.2 with a 4.25 ERA. Like what are we doing here? This must be the last 3 years thing. Because I don't want to quite go to your level for what you said with Robbie Ray last year in terms of his strikeout totals like put your mortgage <laughs> down on him striking guys out. But please I'll go do like, it so I get off the hook. Do it. I'll go like one step below that in the sense of oh, that's how you want me to tell people to put their mortgage down on this? Yes. So I get out from under the cloud. Well, but it's but that's no fun if you're under the bus. You dug your own grave. I am not going to quite dig my own. Actually, you know what? Justin Topa is now a friend of the pod. We've had him on. I'm go. I shouldn't be going half in, half out. Fine. I would put my mortgage down on Justin Topa is not putting up a 4.25 ERA in 2024 with a 4.29 FIP. Is he going to be sub three again? We'll see. Again, like like relievers are very fickle from year to year. 
But I think Justin Topa is going to have another really good year in 24 to see him dip that far down. I know some relievers that happens to him. And I'm not saying every single reliever in this Mariners bullpen will replicate the success they had in 23. But Topa specifically, I would be shocked, like shocked if he had a down year like that. So I'm pretty surprised they're projecting him like that. By ERA plus, he's at 97. So they're saying he's below average in 2024. I think there's no way. You'll be pleased to know I did bookmark that. So just so you know, just so we don't lose it. Okay. Well, if I'm wrong, and at the end of the year, he, for whatever reason, has a down year, we can circle back. Well, if that happens, maybe we'll have to play our clips back to back. It'll be like a, maybe we'll have to put the Curb Your Enthusiasm music under it and put it on (laughs) social or something with you saying the Robbie Ray thing and then me saying this. And then we just get dunked on. No, but I'm... We're good for t- one a year. Yeah. Tell me I'm wrong on that. Like, like, do you really no, think... You're not, would- no, you're not wrong. No, you're not. I think Justin Tilbo is going to be better than this. I'm going to give Zips a break here because re- relievers are already volatile enough. So trying to project an extremely volatile position and a small inning by inning sample size for a season is incredibly difficult. Like, right. let's, let's make sure we have our context there. One inning... Well, sorry, five innings out of 65 could ruin a reliever's season. Totally. Sure. Justin Topa could pitch 60 great innings, five shitty innings, and have an area of that. Okay, but his FIP says 429. So if that happened, his FIP would be much lower. Okay, maybe there's a world Topa has really bad luck or something over the course of a full season. I would certainly hope not. But maybe I should change my argument here because, again, ERA is sometimes not a great stat. This is what I'm confident about. I am confident, like like mortgage confident. He's not putting up a 429 FIP in 2024 because FIP does not, like FIP is a more, it's, it's, it says more about who a reliever is specifically because ERA, you A pitcher controlled right. stat. Yes, especially only, for relievers. Only things a pitcher can directly control, home runs, walks, and strikeouts. Correct. So that's the thing I'd put the mortgage on. Again, I would. I still don't think he's putting up a 425 ERA. I think he's going to be much better than that. But the fifth, 429, 97 ERA plus, I say no way does he do that. And you're right. Relievers are hard to project. And for example, they project Brash and Munoz to be much better. Those guys have done it successfully for two years in a row compared to one for Topa. But they do have some nice projections on those two. And to see what Topa did in 23... I just don't know how you don't project him a little higher than this. That just seems pretty disrespectful. Wrapping up these pitcher projections. So uh, uh, so overall, with a couple of blurbs from the write-up that Dan Zaborski did before he got into the whole tables of players. So Castillo, Gilbert, and George Kirby, they're all projected to be top 15 starters by Zip. Uh, the other interesting one, which we couldn't couldn't find in the table, and which I'm I'm a little confused about, but... It projects Prolander Barroa if you were to throw a full season at the big leagues at a 3-4-3 ERA. Better than Justin Topa. So I thought that was very interesting too. Uh, I'll say where my confusion stems is when we scroll down to Prolander Barroa, his ERA is a full run higher on the table. So I shrug my shoulders. But the write-up says the computer is a, is a little bit more optimistic about Barroa for this upcoming season. So. Okay. Mariners fans have that to hang on to, so that should uh, that should be exciting. So those are the Zips projections. Before we get to our MLB wraparound, let's hear a word from Simply Seattle. Simply Seattle is our go-to for all your favorite Pacific Northwest gear. If you 
or Washington Husky fan, a Mariner fan, a Seahawk fan, a Sounders fan, a Sonics fan. If you want some sports-themed Pacific Northwest gear, you can go shop locally and shop with our friends at Simply Seattle. And when you go to their website, simplyseattle.com, and use our code MARINE15 at checkout, you can get 15% off your order at simplyseattle.com for all your favorite Mariners and other Seattle sports gear, simplyseattle.com. Let's get to our MLB wraparound. So the Hall of Fame induction or uh, the Hall of Fame vote came to a close earlier this week, and we have three new members of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Todd Helton is one. Adrian Beltre is another. And then the third is Joe Maurer. Uh, two of them in on their first ballot, Maurer and Beltre. Helton in uh, a little bit later than that. What are your thoughts? All three of these guys deserve to get in. And if you want the vote totals, Beltre got just over 95% of the vote on his first time on the ballot. Maurer got 76.1% of the vote his first time on the ballot. Helton got 79.7% of the vote on his sixth year on the ballot. I think all three of those guys are surefire Hall of Famers. And I've been on the Joe Maurer train of him being a Hall of Famer forever now. I actually didn't think he'd get in first ballot. And that's not because I don't think he deserves it. I do think he deserves to be a first ballot guy. I just didn't think the writers would vote him in so quickly. Like, for example, Craig Biggio got 3,000 hits. They didn't put him in on the first ballot. So I thought for like something like that would hold Maurer back a little longer. But I'm very, very glad he got in the first time around because he deserves it. Friend of the pod, Jason Churchill, made a great point on Twitter yesterday. He tweeted, he's like, First ballot, like people were saying, who's a first ballot? Who's not? It's like, you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. Who gives a shit what ballot it is? Put them on or don't. And it's what? Yeah. You're saying I I should have a different opinion? No, no, not you. I'm talking about the public. Don't get me started on the Hall of Fame voters. Do not get me started. Talk about, it is just, it is awful. The process is terrible. The people who vote, some of them are cool. Some of them really needed to reevaluate things anyways um joe mauer i was honestly on the i was like not totally sold before i started diving in yesterday i'm i'm not i wouldn't say i'm like totally familiar with joe mauer's career but i went back and looked and found a couple nuggets that uh that convinced me i mean this dude was the only catcher ever to win the triple slash crown in a season which is the batting title, on-base title, and slugging title in a season as a catcher. Only person to ever do it. That's pretty crazy. He has three of the eight batting titles for catchers. He has two of the four on-base titles for catchers. Like, yeah, that's a Hall of Famer. He's a pretty good defender, too. And even though he only caught for nine seasons, his peak seven-season war is fifth among catchers. So, yep, that is a Hall of Famer. As much as you might hate his longevity and the fact he went five years at the end of his career without catching, you know, he's still a Hall of Famer. To your point about the voters, I agree with all that. For like, for example, throwing out another friend of the pod, Jason Stark, very, very good Hall of Fame voter. I endorse his ballots. But some people that vote, like maybe some certain sports talk hosts or some other people, I don't know about that. I think we should get a vote instead here at the Marine Layer Pod. It's just like some people will submit their ballot without voting for somebody. How do you deserve to vote if you don't vote for anybody? Or they'll vote for someone who's clearly not a Hall of Famer. Just like they'll vote one for someone who's clearly not. It's like, you don't even care. You don't care about getting these guys in. It's 
the whole process is broken. But I mean, we could rant about this forever. Let's talk about the guys who actually did get in. Man, what a fucking career for Adrian Beltre. I mean, this dude was legitimately not even close to a Hall of Famer at age 31. Not close. He was a slightly above average big leaguer at age 31. That's what he was. Well, he had that one unreal season with the Dodgers the year before he got to the M's. But then he was coming off an 80 WRC plus season in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, okay, by <laughs> war, by war, Beltre actually had some decent years. And a lot of that's because of defense. If you're talking about his bat in Seattle. It's awful. Just another not classic. No, nowhere near good enough. It was yeah. not a Hall of Fame bat. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame because of his batting. He has over 80, about 84 wins above replacement. His glove was certainly a huge part, but he's in the Hall of Fame because of the the hitter he was and he didn't become the hitter he was until he was well into his thirties. It's incredible. And he did it without juicing. We think we assume he did it without juicing. He just really went through the latter half of his career and just kind of went on a rampage. I mean, I just laughed looking at his last year in Seattle. I'm like, man, this is so on brand. They had this future hall of famer on their roster. He sucked. He, he like, especially his last year, he was bad. <laughs> that the 80 WRC plus final season he played. And then he goes to Boston and then Texas and and he 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 gets into the three thousand hit club and it's it's incredible. It's incredible. And I, you know what? I can't blame Adrian Beltre for not wanting to play well in Seattle <laughs> because that oh that part that those years in the organization were were bad. To your point, well, I guess the Churchill's point that you just brought up about you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. So why does it take a guy like Todd Helton six years? That's what I don't get. You're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. Why is it that for the first few years, his vote totals were so low, but then as time goes on, people are like, well, actually, actually, maybe he has a case. Maybe he should get in. And and, and let me be clear. I think Todd, Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer. I think he absolutely deserves to get in. So it's more of the point of why did it take voters so long to be like, okay, maybe we should give him our vote. It helps Larry Walker got in. That was yeah, uh, certainly a start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that probably is part of it. But sometimes but, people just need to be educated a little bit more. Some people actually need to go out and hear some arguments of why or why not someone's a Hall of Famer. And like, look, Todd Helton definitely benefited from playing at Coors Field in one of the most offensive-friendly uh, offensive friendly times in Major League Baseball history. Like, early 2000s Coors Field. I could, not, I could, I could have put up an 800 OPS in Coors Field during that you? time. <laughs> no, you're taking, you know, no, say, you're taking 97 on the corner and no, I taking it the other way. It's unbelievable. You've seen it. his 2000 season is actually just absolutely bonkers. And he slugged 698 and obviously didn't, uh, I don't, he didn't win. I don't think he won MVP that year. His 04 no. season was also like unbelievably great. But of course yeah. that was the greatest hitting season ever from Barry Bonds in yeah. 2004. So that didn't help either. Yeah, Helton never won an MVP, but that doesn't mean he's not no. a Hall of Famer. He is. No, he played in the wrong league at the wrong time. Right. That's your class. I cannot believe Billy Wagner missed again, dude. I, I think I talked about this last year with Billy Wagner, too. I'll just say it here again. So he got 73.8% of the vote in his ninth year on the ballot. For context, he will probably get in next year. On his last year, if he's that close, I bet he gets in doesn't mean that it should have taken him this long. I don't know how you say this guy is not a Hall of Famer and one of the best relievers to ever play the game. This guy's career whip, career under one. 
like career walks, hits per innings pitch under one. He did that for 16 years. And honestly, the stat that jumps out to me the most in all those years, he had one season where his ERA was not in the ones or twos. He had one season in his career where his ERA was above one or two, and it was an injury riddled season. Like, I don't know how you look at that guy and say not Hall of Famer. I'm sure he'll get in next year. It shouldn't have taken him this long. So he will get in uh, like Edgar Martinez on his final year of the ballot. I would like to praise friend of the podcast, Mike Salk, on a tweet he sent out, which I think will bring us back to our original point about the voters and a little bit of hypocrisy. And this is going to I'm going to preface this by saying Lyle and I have the utmost respect for the three guys that just made it into the Hall of Fame. Uh, they are absolutely Hall of Famers, 100%. But Mike Saul continues to make some very good points on this and not understanding what the point of why these voters are making the points they do. He sent out a tweet yesterday on Wednesday saying, okay, your team needs three outs to win the World Series, and you had to face either A, Beltre, Maurer, or Helton, or B, Manny Ramirez, Barry Bonds, or A-Rod. <laughs> three guys who are not in the Hall of Fame. Which would make you more nervous? Lyle? It's it's not close. It's the latter. It's to, to have to face Barry, A-Rod, and Manny Ramirez. Yeah. Like, look, this is why there just has to be a PED wing of the Hall of Fame. And I understand, like, sorry, let me say this. I think Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer no matter what. That's what I was trying to say. Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer no matter what. I think he should have been in. I think Roger Clemens should have been in. There's no question in my mind. But if you're not going to vote those guys in, there needs to be a wing of the Hall of Fame. Because here's what the Hall of Fame is. It is supposed to tell a story. It's not your scripted fairy tale about here's all the babysitters of Major League Baseball and who all the people are that we really like. No, it's these are the best players to ever play the sport. You don't like the Barry Bonds injected needles in his body fine he still is one I, I like I will argue he might be the greatest player ever even with the steroids so I don't know how you just act like that guy doesn't exist so if you're not going to vote him in put a PD wing in the hall of fame and say these are who these guys were these this was their career and let fans have their own opinions about them stop having these voters say well we hold the power to decide what people should think no, they're they're the best players to ever play, those guys. There are tens of players in the Hall of Fame who refused integration in baseball. Yeah. Like they're they're, they're pre- are... let's let's not pretend like the Hall of Fame is A clean, B um full of guys who did not cheat. You're telling me there are guys in there who have never done performance enhancing drugs. Like that's, there are. There are guys in there. They didn't test for them back then, but I could guarantee you. There are guys in the Hall of Fame who cheated. Uh, That's what I was just about to get to. And there are plenty of guys that were on those Mitchell reports or had rumors to PEDs that, yes, are in. They just didn't happen to get caught. Again, I'm not going to sit here and definitively say anything, but the guys that people seem to circle, for example, like people talk about Jeff Bagwell, people talk about Mike Piazza, those guys are in the Hall of Fame. And and we don't know. We're just two guys sitting here talking about the Mariners and in this case talking about Hall of Fame voting. But there do seem to be some things out there of people believing those guys may or may not have juiced. And they're mm-hmm. in. So they don't have a way to regulate this. I also hate that the way, I mean, this can go back 20, like 20, 30 years. 
But what Major League Baseball did is when they realized this was a problem, they pinned it on the players. So guys started doing it when it wasn't technically against the rules or it wasn't being enforced. And once they realized it was putting a bad name on their game, then Major League Baseball is like, well, let's actually make it their fault instead. Like, that's what they did with the whole steroids thing. Not only did they do that, but they used all the publicity and the fame that came along of the what of the results of what the steroids brought, which were epic home run chases, monumental numbers and number one place on SportsCenter every single night and all the publicity and brought it back from the shame of the fact that the the Players Association and the owners could not agree to something in uh, 1994. They had to cancel the season because of that. And the reputation of baseball was desolate. And all of a sudden, once Major League Baseball looks and sees, oh, these guys are hitting an abnormal amount of home runs. They look abnormally large, especially with their biceps. And it doesn't look very natural. But you know what? Look how many people are watching our baseball games. I don't care about that. And now all of a sudden, oh, yeah, now it's actually super easy to to blame them for all of these things. Because we allowed it before, we got famous off of it, and then once it was time to, once the slightest bit of negative PR came in, then we did, you're right, we decided to pin it on the players and take zero responsibility for for all the benefit, actually, that has continued to be seeped into all of us today of, think of all of our parents who became enormous baseball fans during this time. I'm not talking about our parents, I'm just talking about someone in general who became enormous baseball fans during those runs and now have kids who grew up being baseball fans because their parents watched that. Major League Baseball is benefiting off of that and then telling these kids that, hey, the people who actually brought this baseball fandom to you, uh, no, they're bad guys. Don't don't listen to them. We're going to pretend like they don't exist. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be in our – they're not going to get their highest honor just because we don't like them in a sense. It's crazy. We could go on about that forever. I – one day it'll be our generation of people that's voting. And once that happens, it'll be much better in terms of the voting system. Because you don't talk to many people that are either our age or even within about 10 years of us that ever say those guys are not Hall of Famers. Most people that are around our age say Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, those guys, they should be Hall of Famers. But unfortunately, there's a lot of outdated people doing this voting. So I hate that. It's terrible. Luckily, next year, Ichiro will not be a just tough decision. He no. He's first ballot next year. Ichiro is going to be in. You, Nervous for Felix. Do you think Ichiro might, be, Ichiro might be unanimous? I think there's Could a shot. Be. He is a good shot. He is a really good shot. Mm-hmm. I, Though I did did see a take, scroll across a take the other day that he wasn't because his WRC plus wasn't high enough. Yeah, oh, I, I got a good chuckle out of that. I saw Churchill ripping that guy about that. And look, Churchill's pro analytics. Churchill uses WRC plus and Savant data and all that stuff. Churchill's just a very smart baseball person. And he understands it for what Ichiro did in his career. You can't quantify it by WRC plus. The guy had 200 hits for 10 straight years. And and Luke Arkins came in underneath that and in support of Jason and said, hey, actually, here's a stat that makes you look totally stupid. He used B-War, and he's like, okay, Ichiro, from his age 26 season on, for all players in Major League Baseball history, there are 26 players who had more B-War from their 20, age 26 season on. They're all either juicing or in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. Case closed. <laughs> next next year's Hall of Fame discussion on this pod will probably be much more upbeat. And honestly, it'll probably take up an entire podcast itself rather than just the wraparound segment because by this time next year, like we can say it, Ichiro Suzuki will be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like, 
It's just, it's, it's that simple. So hopefully next year we don't spend as much time being so angry about voters and Billy Wagner getting snubbed and all that stuff, but we're still a year away and honestly can't come soon enough. I can't wait to see Ichiro get inaugurated into Cooperstown and all that. It's going to be awesome. So I can't wait. All right, let's transition and get to speak your mind. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. Well, Tej, on your mind this week is what? I got to give a shout out to my man at LSU that his story came up today. Kayshawn Boutte. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy crap. Uh, if you read this sto- story that was dug up today, apparently while he was in college and underage, he gambled over the span of 13 months. Uh, he placed over 8,900 bets in 13 months. In case you were curious, he was betting on average 22 times a day. That's <laughs> that's pretty impressive. And even more impressive off of this Um I mean, it was technically illegal. Did you see how profitable he was? Did you mm-hmm. see this number? I mean, yeah. he, uh, he deposited a total of $132,000 into his account, uh, and he made $556,000. That's pretty good. That's, that's pretty fucking good for a gambler. You're supposed, you want to go like 54% is a, is a, a win in, when you gamble? This dude is... He quad nearly trip. He over tripled his revenue, his deposits. So that's fi- awesome. 50- that's amazing. So fifty four percent is okay in gambling, right? Yes, it just is. Not just not in maybe baseball. Um, yeah, that's nuts. What, like, do we think? Do we think the NFL is going to do anything about this once he gets into the league? Well, didn't he, he's facing charges for it? Oh yeah. Well, that's yeah. So that's a whole other because he was underage when he was when right. he was doing all this gambling. I. Th- the funniest thing of all of this, uh, his account usernames were Kayshawn Butte 7 and Kayshawn Butte 01. In case the, in case DraftKings or whatever the, 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 wherever the account was, was wondering, hmm, who could this be? Hmm. It's making it really difficult. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, not great. He bet on himself a couple times too, and there's a oh. clip floating around of Jaden Daniels consoling <laughs> consoling him because he bet on himself to go over. I think his prop was like eighty two and a half receiving yards, and he finished the game with two catches for twenty yards, and he was just furious on the sidelines. I'm wondering how much cash he put down on his uh, on his performance. If it's the same clip that I saw, and I'm guessing it is, I think they said that clip was taken about the third quarter of that game when he was all pissed off and now it makes a lot more sense. He's like, yeah. I'm going to really need the ball here in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's like insider trading with stocks, except it's a player betting on his own stuff. And that's why the NFL has outlawed it. And every major sports league doesn't let you gamble on anything in that sport. Cause you have a direct influence on it. The trail of money is, uh, I, I think from what I saw is that he was almost certainly spending his NIL money on this because there's no way he just has 150 grand laying around to gamble. So he yeah. certainly was getting a check from whatever uh, Louisiana business that is funding his NIL or whatever the collective was. 
throwing it right into his account and it's like all right what are we doing yeah man that is it's quite the guts to place that many bets that is crazy i I can't get over the volume dude 22 a day that's nuts that like (laughs) like like that's not good like i know he made money but 22 bets a day is, is insanity and you know what? Now that this becomes public, like half the locker room had to know he was gambling on himself. Yeah. You're telling me that dude first <laughs> to make his account names look like that wasn't like telling like the offensive line. Hey, man, I got 20 grand on my over today. <laughs> he 100 percent did that. He didn't think he was going to get caught. I Like, is he even going to play in the NFL at this point? I would assume still probably. No, but probably. You not. don't think so? now he was i mean he's really good so i don't know calvin ridley made a bet and got suspended a year that's Keishon true Boutte, while underage made 8900 yeah that's that's a fair point yeah maybe <laughs> not then well <laughs> i hate to say it Keishon, i'm sure the hundred fifty thousand dollars you profited from at the time was fun but that doesn't hold a candle to the nfl money you would have made he's gonna so. He's going to have to place, pay some fines, too, I'm sure. But, right. yeah, man, that that's a that's a wild story. But I'll, the, the content online has been hilarious, I'll say. Yeah. Like, the fact yeah. that people went immediately went back and digged up some of his moments and were like, hmm, I wonder if he had any money on this game. Welcome to Twitter, I guess. Man. <laughs> Whew. Okay. I can tell you what I've been thinking about this week. I knew one day my ping pong skills would pay off for something. I just didn't know when it was going to be. Let, okay, I'm going to have to preface this. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast. The one like big useless talent I have that I kind of like to flaunt out there, and I'm usually not like this. I'd like to consider myself for the most part pretty like, um, like I don't, I don't talk about Humble. myself. Like, y- yeah, like I, I'm just, that's just not really how I am. The one thing in my entire life I kind of put out on a limb is like, Oh yeah, I'm pretty nice at ping pong. Like, I don't lose. So, have you lost anybody, by the way? Anyone notable? So, let me let me continue the story oh, here. Okay, well, um, I meant before today, but Okay. No, not really. I mean, okay, uh, okay so we have one friend who's we have one other friend in our friend group at ASU who's also pretty good and he has at some point in time beaten me, but like the the all-time game record, I think way swings in my favor. Yeah, that's so, what I thought. Okay. Yeah. So today, if you want to know, like, you know, what's up with me here in New York City these days, so I've been having a bunch of meetings still, I've or been meeting up with a bunch of people in person. We keep talking about friends of the pod on this episode. The other day, I met up with friend of the pod, Bobby Wagner of Tipping Pitches, which was awesome to get to meet him in person for the first time. But today here on Thursday, I got to do something pretty cool. So I'd connected with a couple of sports media companies that are here in New York City. One's called Snapback Sports run by a guy named Jack Settlement. He does some really awesome YouTube content. He travels around to a lot of NFL games. They do a bunch of unique stuff. So them, along with a fantasy football content company that's titled BDGE, it's short for Big Dogs Gotta Eat. They do fantasy football content, lifestyle content. Like it's all across. They're big on TikTok. They're big on YouTube. They, they do it a lot of different places. They share an office in Manhattan. So I connected with the Snapback Sports guys. I went into the office today. They were nice enough to go let me hang out in that place. They just got a brand new office, which if you go to the, any of the BDGE social media accounts, they did a tour of it the other day. 
It's really, really cool. Like the setup they have, they have a viewing area to watch football games. They have a recording area to sit in person, record and everything. I got to hang out most of the afternoon, which was super nice of them to let me do that. I got to meet everybody. I got to talk to everybody at both companies for the most part. And it was really a blast to do so. There is a ping pong table in this office. And I walk in there. I knew it was there previously because I'd watched the video, but I'd also seen it. And I wasn't going to say anything about it. And I was just going to kind of be a fly on the wall, meet some people, talk to some people, whatever. I didn't want to overstep my boundaries or anything like that. But at some point, I was sitting in, listening to them record some trivia. That's one of the big things that BDGE does. They record a lot of football trivia and post it across social and YouTube. That stuff's really popular. And I was sitting there watching them do it. At one point, they took a break. A couple of the guys asked if they wanted to play ping pong, and one of them had to do something else. So they turned to me, and they're like, you play any ping pong? I was like, well, maybe a little bit. I was like, I have a table at home. So I started rallying with one or two different guys. I was playing somebody from, from BDGE who, I'm not going to lie, like, like I won by a decent amount. Um, like I think it was like a 10-plus point win. So that happened. And the head of BDGE, his name's Nick Ercolano. He founded the company. He's, he's pretty big on social media too. Apparently, he's pretty good. And this game wraps up with the first guy. And they hand the paddle over to Nick and, and they say to him, uh, good luck. And they're like, what, is he that good? And they were like, well, all I said was good luck. You'll have to find out for yourself. And because again, I, I won the first game by like 10 plus points. And we had this really good game of ping pong. Like I'm talking like for most of the game, the lead for either side never got beyond a point. It, it was like the back and forths of all back and forths. Now here's where I have to preface this again because I talked about how good I am at ping pong. I lost today, which was a big bruise on my ego. So, so Nick apparently is really good. Like, like, let me sit here and give him his credit. He's really, really good at ping pong. And we had some rallies that straight up lasted like 60 seconds or more. Like they were back and forth. They took a long time. They were like, it was a really good game. And I lost, which, which again, like I don't lose that often. That was, I was like, man, it's tough out here. And obviously I just told him good game. I thought he was, I thought he was really good. But what was cool was, at the end, when I kind of said bye to everybody and, and left, first off, they were all super nice. They kind of talked about, you know, love to see you again. Hopefully at some point I'm back in the office, at that office again at some point while I'm here because everybody was super friendly, welcoming, all that stuff. Um, Jack was great, who I connected with for the first time. But Nick says to me before I leave, he goes, yeah, you got my respect, Lyle. He's like, after playing that game of ping pong, like, like I'm pretty impressed. And I was like, you know. I appreciate it. I, I really, really do. So that goes all the way back to how I started this story of I knew one day that ping pong skill would get me somewhere. I just didn't know where. Because again, if, if I hadn't done that, maybe I would have walked in and just been some random dude that stopped by to say hi to some people. But now, now, oh, they got to say, hey, I got some ping pong skills. I can, I can get on that table and give people some work. So little spiel of a story. But I just knew one day, maybe having that useless quote-unquote skill of ping pong might do me some benefit. <laughs> you like that good. story? That's a pretty good story. Yeah. I wasn't even expecting, when you said you wanted to save it for Speak Your Mind, I, I was not expecting you taking a loss in ping pong. I've, I've lost you in ping pong before. I don't, you know, it takes, some, it takes some skill. Were you guys like really hammering the ball or was it still just more of a casual, casual paddle? No, I mean, there were, there were people hammering shots. And for anybody who's played me in ping pong knows my bread and butter and the way I've won all these games over the years 
mostly doesn't come from slamming shots. My my whole thing with ping pong, I actually I played tennis in high school too, and I was I was like played a couple years of varsity. I was half decent at it. My it was the same thing in tennis as it always was in ping pong, which was I would win games by just not messing up. I tap a lot of shots over the net and just refuse to miss shots and take a lot of risks because I don't like to mess up. I'll let my opponent mess up. So that's kind of how I went about this game. The problem is, again, Nick Ercolano can rally back every single ball that I hit for the most part. Like we had some long rallies. Usually when I play people, people can't like hold rallies with me. People either just hit it into the net or they hit it out or they get impatient and try to slam one and maybe they'll miss half of them, which leads to me accumulating points. That wasn't happening in this game. Like it was a lot of long rallies. So I had to try to grind it out. And unfortunately, yeah, I was on the wrong end of it, which again, I don't, I don't lose often in ping pong. So that was a little bit of a, uh, like a wake up call. And again, I should preface it with, with Nick is very good, but yeah, I had a, I had a fun afternoon. It was pretty cool to go and go and do that. And like I said, hopefully I'll see those guys again. Cause they were all really cool, both from snapback and from BDGE. But I don't think we've talked about my ping pong skills on the pod before. And I haven't, I certainly haven't gotten to talk about it in a story that would be any way relevant at all. So I figured, Hey, let's bring it up. That's what I was thinking about today. I can tell you that. Two takeaways from that. One, super cool. Like I've seen BDG, especially their stuff online. Their trivia is excellent. I think they do a really, really good job with their trivia. It, they do a good job of keeping you engaged on some very niche trivia topics. They publish them, I think, on you, both on, on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. So whichever you prefer, I think their content is very good and very, very niche for nerdy football people it's it's football nfl trivia and mm-hmm. they've they've done a great job thinking up some some good ideas so i'd go check that out and yeah they seem like a bunch of really cool dudes as well so i'm glad you got to go meet them too wherever you end up dog and you get your own place you you need a ping pong table you need to practice again like i, I think i think you're out of practice i i think i might be out of practice again we haven't used our table at our house like like back in the seattle area in terms of our house in a while, like, like we still have it. It's just, you know, my brother's out of state now. I guess my dad and I don't play all that much anymore when I was home. So I didn't play all the time anymore. So you're right. Like now I wasn't going to use that excuse. I would like, like, I'm not an excuse person. I wasn't going to sit there and say, Oh, well, it's been a while since I played. I'm not, I'm not that guy. No, I got, I lost, even though I was disappointed to lose. Like I'm going to take it on the, I'm going to take it on the chin. Like, like I lost, I didn't play the better game in this game. However, Maybe I should start practicing a little bit more. Hey, if they're going to let me come hang out again, there's another, there's another opportunity to practice, get back on the table. Because the only problem is, I don't know where my next job's going to be. I don't know if it'd be in New York City, Seattle, Arizona, like, like wherever. The problem is, if it was in New York, I don't know how many New York City apartments can hold a ping pong table. I'm sure you could figure something out. You could put Just, it on the floor. You could uh, you could do like a half. Well, you'll need a wall anyways. First of all, you don't need a whole table because odds are, like, you could have you could. There are two two things you could do. One, I mean, you could get a full table. You'd need someone to play with, mm-hmm. right? That's one. Two. What if you set up like a half table against a wall, a flat wall, and you just go boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. You could do that. I don't know how many marks you'd make on the wall, but you could do that. Or if somebody had a place that had one of those islands that was fairly long, you could just buy like a cheap net and set it up on there. And then you could just rally on your island table in the kitchen 
Like you can do that too. That's another, you, you might have to make shift it in some ways, but I'm sure there's ways to do it. But, but yeah, I agree. Maybe I need to, yeah, get back on the table a little bit more. It seems like. That's so, good. Uh, yeah. Final question here. What's the Joe's slice count at? Oh, believe it or not, I've actually only had one. I mean, again, you told <sighs> me to find other places. You told okay, me to find other fair. places. Remember? Okay, so then what's the slice count at? Um, three, I want to say. I, like, I'm not eating, like, pizza every single day or anything like that, but I have tried a couple different places. One was down by Hudson Yards. I know, time's ticking. I have had a couple good meals, though, like I said, so that's been nice. That's um, good. Well, what were the other pizza places you went to? Um, A couple of them were just, like, they weren't big name brand pizza places. I do have a couple, like, popular ones on the list that aren't Joe's that I want to get to. But Which ones? a couple of them were just like local shops that had good slices. And, and a couple of them that were like, I think one was just like, again, it was kind of down by Hudson Yards. It was just like a, like, it was like local cafe and pizza shop. There was one in Times Square too, where you know, it was really, really good. Like well, the thing about New York is you don't have to look that hard to find a slice. No, you don't. I was like, well, so which place did you have on your list? Uh, what's the one? There's a is it Prince Street. That's it. Prince Street's yeah. one I need it's, to try. Well, that one's pretty popular. Yeah. I know Le Industry is supposed to be pretty good. I don't think okay. I pronounced that correctly. Yeah. Because and I, my, my Italian ancestors are screaming at me right, right now. And I but, still need to get to a couple of places like, like Golden Diner or like Thursday Kitchen or like some places yeah. like that. So, mm. so those are on the list. Just, oh, you're yeah. making me hungry. Oh, God damn it. Maybe that's a sign to... The, uh, uh, the yeah. difference in food quality between... As I've mentioned here on Speak Your Mind before, between... Uh, New York City and Corvallis, Oregon is steep. Although I, I, don't, I haven't seen any Hawaiian barbecue places. I'll give you that. Uh, I'm sure you, you could probably find a Hawaiian barbecue place. I think probably. they're, uh, I think they're, nah, you could probably find one. Yeah. yeah. Here's the last thing I got on Speak Your Mind. This one will be quick, but I did want to bring it up because I always get a laugh out of it. For those who don't know and want a little insight on some of the things that our friends talk about or that TJ and I talks about, talk about, uh, TJ loves to try to belittle athletes who try to stay in college for seven to eight years. He oh, loved, am I getting put on the spot here? <laughs> a little. So TJ's favorite thing to do is when there's a transfer, especially in college football, that try to stick around for seven, eight years, TJ's favorite thing to do is just send a meme of, of Chick-fil-A, like, like or a gif of Chick-fil-A, and say, it's time to get a job, like suggesting <laughs> maybe they should go to Chick-fil-A. Am I wrong? No, like, like, but those are guys that, I mean, listen, people like those are guys that aren't going to the NFL. They're probably just trying to last as long as they can. I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm just saying I get a laugh out of it. Yeah. Let me, let me defend myself here. If you're going for like a fifth or sixth year and you're getting like a master's or a doctorate, like that's fine. People go to college for five or six years. I'm talking about this dude at Miami who used to be at Oregon, who is in his (laughs) ninth year of college. What is there left to study? What is there left? You're well, telling me if you went to go enter the working world, you'd make you would be less productive. Like nine years in college. Like what? He he's the same year as you and I. Yeah, that's that's two lifespans of college, which is pretty nuts. I'm sorry, dude. Like, coach has <laughs> got to sit you down and be like, my guy. Like, if you were gonna go to the NFL, you would have gone by now, and. Yeah. Like, time time to enter the workforce, buddy. 
<laughs> I don't think I'm a bad person for saying someone who's been in who's in their like seventh year of uh, seventh year of college should probably if he's if sports aren't working out for him should probably start thinking about his career a little bit. Yeah. Okay, I'll go all out. You're not wrong for saying that. I'm just saying I always get a laugh out of it. Or when when we see one of these guys in college football that transfers for like the fourth time, that's also often a time where you will start to send things of Chick-fil-A and say, get a job. Like, yeah. And, and it's Listen, kind of the, a lot of places kind of, are hiring these days. Well, it's true. It's Except true. The jobs we look for, but exactly <laughs> again, like TJ is kidding with the Chick-fil-A thing. It's just our little, it's just our little joke within our friend group of like saying you're, it's his way of saying, just get a job. But no, it's, it's the same idea that applies to these guys that transfer four times or whatever. It's if you have to transfer that many times, your career is probably coming to an end. So it's like JT maybe. Daniels, like yeah, four like, schools. Like it's time, dude. It's time. Yeah. Like he tried, he was a high prospect out of high school or a high recruit out of high school. But yeah, it seems like, like time what is a ninth year tight end getting NIL money? Like, is it, is he getting, I don't know. It, like if he, he getting, was only getting like 60 K in NIL money, like he could make more money if he just entered the workforce and got a corporate job. Well, unless there's retirement homes paying them a lot of money in NIL. But what would like a ninth year backup tight end make? No, I don't know. Like, nothing. That's if a, it was, that's, again, if it was only like 60 K you could go get if, so he works, you know, he plays for Miami. I think, what's his name? Cam McCormick. Think so. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So what if he got like a corporate job in Miami making 75,000 and you get health insurance? That's true. Wow. No, you're right. And a I 401k. Mean, it's, and your salary's guaranteed and the, the, the collective doesn't have to go, oh, actually, we don't have the money. Again, it would be pretty hilarious if he tried to get some NIL sponsors from retirement homes as a way of like, yeah, I'm in my ninth year of college, but here's where I'm getting my NIL checks from. So, Listen, yeah, if he's is, making like 300k, then I respect it. If he's not, then, buddy, yeah. it's time. Okay. It's time. Well, that was a fun speak your mind on all facets. I know we went a little bit a, a little bit long on the speak your mind there, but hope you guys enjoyed it and hope you enjoyed this entire episode. So with that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full form podcast, you can you can do so wherever you get your audio pods. Make sure to download, make sure to leave us the five star review, make sure to follow the show. Those help us out a ton, truly. It also helps us out a ton if you like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. Just one little click, guys. One little click. A like, a subscribe. Just takes an extra second, and you're doing us a big service. And then, if you have some time too, and hopefully you do, check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.